Hey everybody, welcome to episode 19 of the Snake in the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Bynes. You can find me on Twitter at jsnake underscore dff. In this episode, I have John Hoge coming on the podcast. You should be following him on Twitter at SuperflexDude. He is the host of the Superflex Show, writer for DLF, and co-host of the FF Merck's flagship podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Superflex Dynasty strategy from the startup to the next offseason. So welcome, John. How are you doing? It's Mr. Snakes. Thanks for having me, man. It's <laughs> awesome to be here with you and uh, uh, get to see close up what you're getting into. Uh, I'm, I, I was excited to see you get started on a podcast, so it's awesome to be here. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's it's good to have you on. I have a couple of people coming on to talk some Superflex Dynasty strategy, and I know that a lot of people, if they follow you on Twitter, we talked about this before the show, they consider you more of a radical for Superflex <laughs> And I'm, I'm really, uh, I really want to talk through your process because you, you're on, you're on part five of your series for DLF right now about Superflex, correct? Yeah. Uh, five just came out. I've got one more, uh, part six comes out next week where I talk about the full roster build, put it all, pull everything together and say, you know, this is what a QBX strategy looks like where you've got the most value and you've got production that can actually help you can compete. So, um, yeah, it, it, it does for whatever reason, it still is considered radical, but even though the reality is that entire series of articles has really just kind of laid out why not only is this not radical, this is actually like, this is, this is the path of least resistance. In Superflex, this is a way to do it in a way that makes sense and just kind of allows for, you know, Superflex to do what it does. Yeah, and that's I would recommend anybody who can check out the article on DLF to definitely check out all of the articles. I've been reading through them as they come out, and it's been helping me rethink some strategies that I've created over the last couple of months because I've been trying to change how I look at Superflex and playing around with the idea of like going more win now versus not, but we'll get into that in just a moment. There's one question that I do ask every guest, and that is what is one hobby that you really enjoy doing that does not relate to fantasy football? Man, and that's a kind of tough one because I've got a lot of them. Um, uh, I'm going to throw two at you, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep them brief. So uh, I mentor entrepreneurs. Um, I, I've started a couple of my own businesses and uh, taken kind of the process that I used and, uh, it, you know, have helped. Uh, at this point, I'm almost up to double digits. I want to say eight or nine different uh, entrepreneurs helped mentor them through the, the business launch process. And I actually use that quite a bit in my fantasy football analysis. Um, and then I'm also a, a, a musician, a singer. I, I can, I play the guitar as well. I write songs, but primarily a singer. And I don't use that in fantasy football. No one, no one has heard me sing in fantasy football. I think it's time for you and Stompy to do a, <laughs> do a song on FF Mercs. I think that's, that's what everybody needs. <laughs> he has absolutely no, uh, he, 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 he would be so, so off pitch. It would just be him yelling and <laughs> that doesn't even, that doesn't even sound good. <laughs> it just maybe, sounds good. <laughs> maybe y'all can make the, uh, 2021, uh, Scott fishbowl anthem. Maybe, maybe that's what we need. Cause I know Stompy went a little crazy for Scott fishbowl with his, uh, antics that he did. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Always, yeah. If I if I'm wearing the belt, uh, then maybe him and I will be able to uh, to put something. Although, if I'm wearing the belt, I don't think he's going to be talking to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to try to take the belt <laughs> away from both of y'all, but I'm I'm only in my first year, so I'm just I'm just hoping for a good a good time. So we'll just we'll just see nice. how it goes. <laughs> so I yeah. wanted to start the podcast talking about your pinned post on Twitter, which you yeah. have it called the Superflex Theorem. And it is if the QB startup ADP is within two rounds of the non-QB, the QB's post-startup value will be equal to or greater than that of the non-QB. Two-round mm -hmm. scarcity bump for quarterbacks after the startup. Give them the bump during the startup instead. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, which – you know, that's really, so we always say quarterbacks are the cheapest, you know, after or in, in the startup draft. And this is really just kind of a way of quantifying it. This is saying like, this is essentially us saying, 
this is how much cheaper quarterbacks are if you take them in a startup than if you wait until after the startup and try and trade for them. It's a two-round difference. And and really, I mean, you go back and look at your startup draft um, in a super flex dynasty and, you know, look at a, pl- a quarterback that was taken, I mean, really in any round. It works better in the later rounds. It's a little hard to to give Pat Mahomes a two round bump when he's already, you know, going top three. Um, but you know, for like in the later rounds, like use Phillip rivers and as, as an example with, I believe a 10th round ADP, if I remember right. Uh, That's about so, right. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you go back and look at, uh, it, it, your draft board and you see Philip rivers taken in the 10th round, then you start looking at the other players, the non-quarterbacks around him, and you say, you know, which of these guys would I trade Philip Rivers away for straight up? And usually it's going to take you, you're going to have to back up a round or two before you finally get to a guy, you know, somebody in the, the that was probably taken in the eighth round where you finally say, all right, I, that's where I would trade Philip Rivers straight up. And the reason for that is just because in the startup, all these quarterbacks are available. We have this mindset of abundance. We have this mindset that all of these quarterbacks are available to me. I don't have to take one right now. Once you get out of the draft, though, and realize that you need quarterbacks and there's none available other than to trade, now you know it's basic economics. It's supply and demand. <laughs> the demand is is a, is far greater than the supply at that point. The only way to get a quarterback is to buy one. And if there's only one team that it, that can afford to trade away that quarterback, that team gets to they don't have to compete with any other sellers, so they get to set the price. And the yeah. price is going to be you know whatever they actually value that quarterback at, and it's going to be usually a two round bump. <laughs> yeah, I like it. So yeah. we're going to go ahead and dig straight into your startup strategy, which I know we just talked about it right now with that two round bump for QB. But mm-hmm. my first question is, do you draft to win now, go to more of like a productive struggle or somewhere in between? Uh, you know, I so I think that somebody, an outsider looking at my startup roster would feel like it's it's going to take a productive struggle approach. It is going to be heavy on quarterbacks, and I prefer the younger ones because they're going to hold their value longer. And, uh, you know, I'll have some, probably some younger wide receivers, and it's kind of the same thing. I like having those positions locked up uh, because I don't like having a lot of wide receivers. You know, there's not a whole lot of, of variance from one wide receiver to the other. They still hold their value for, you know, a first, a significant amount of time. Um, the only thing that really takes them off the field, which is the only thing that make that takes away their fantasy relevance, is injury. You know, so even if they're not, even if they're not a very good player, like Corey Davis is still fantasy relevant because he's on the field. He's not particularly good, but he's at least on the field. There's always a chance for him to catch a touchdown and score you fantasy points. You know, so so Corey Davis is still a fairly stable asset all things considered um but you know and then and then you see a lot of a lot of running backs um and they're not all that good but you know i've got a lot of them i've got some that are good at catching passes um you know it's it's it really kind of becomes a little bit of a like a modified zero rb approach and uh i so you know, to compensate for that, I end up with good PPR guys. I, you know, last year, Austin Eckler, this year, James White uh, and Boston Scott, those are going to be guys that I end up with a lot of. I don't have the big flashy names. And so people look at it and say, yeah, that team is, he's playing for 2021. Yeah. And the truth is, you know, that's, that is somewhat true. My quarterbacks and my wide receivers are going to carry me through to 2021. And then I'm going to start adding, you know, running backs in a rookie draft. But the problem, the thing is with running backs, especially is they, they turn over on a weekly basis. It's not even a yearly thing with those guys. 
It's freaking weekly. Last year we had, you know, guys like Raheem Mostert come out of nowhere. We had Kenyon Drake come back from the dead. We had, and, you know, before him we had spurts with Chase Edmonds. We had all these different guys come along who were, you know, either super cheap in trade, um, you know, late in the draft in startups, or sometimes even off of waivers. We got some of these guys and they helped you win championships. So, you know, I, I don't think that you have to have stud running backs to win a championship. If I've got the right mix of running backs and I've got enough of them that I can take all the shots that I need, I'm still going to be competitive for that season. It's still a win now approach. It just doesn't look like it. Gotcha. So it's, I, I guess I would call it a productive struggle with a chance for win now if some <laughs> yeah. of those running backs start to hit or they just have their, their PPR upside, which I'd say like James yep. White's a good example of guy with PPR upside, same with Boston Scott, because um, according to one of my more recent drafts, uh, James White went in like the 10th or 11th round. So is that usually where you get your first running back typically? Well, so it, it, like I said, I do, I do kind of a modified zero RB. So uh, the, the big thing with quarterback extreme, that's, that's my strategy where you're taking quarterbacks early and often. Um, usually I want three quarterbacks in the first four rounds, but that fourth pick in the first four rounds is usually going to be a running back. And the reason for the, the big reason for that is I know that those guys First of all, I, I know that they've got a chance to kind of, um, you know, any one of those guys outside of the first round has a chance to return first round type value by next season. Leonard Fournette for me is a great one. You get him in the third round, he's got a shot to be the RB1 overall just based on, you know, the amount of usage that he got versus the number of touchdowns he, he scored in 2019. Uh, you know, even a, a just a, a regression to a, a mediocre middle of the road scoring rate is going to put him in the conversation for RB1 overall. So, you know, I, he he can help me win from the third round. That's my third pick. And then the other thing that I can do with him is potentially package him with a quarterback for you know, a downgraded quarterback in trade and an upgraded running back. All of a sudden, you know, I, I package Lamar Jackson and, and Leonard Fournette and I get back, you know, a, a young quarterback that I like, like Drew Locke. I'm getting literally any running back I want. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting back Christian McCaffrey in that deal if I want him, you know? So uh, that's that's kind of the the big reason I do it. I, I, I really like the trade value of running backs. I just don't value them, uh, you know, as part of the foundation of my team, but I will end up with, uh, with at least one of those type of guys. And I think that's a great point because that's one thing I did two drafts that I would consider productive struggles uh, in that I went for draft capital and I went, um, I, one of them, I went really QB heavy. The other one, I didn't really go as much QB heavy. I went more, um, receiver heavy, but I didn't draft a, a running back until the ninth round. And I realized it was what, two months ago, probably a month from today that I made a fatal mistake by not getting one of those top end guys, because it's so hard to trade for them. Unless like, like you said, you could do like a quarterback sort of package deal, but if you don't have one of those top end guys, like a Leonard Fournette, uh, one person that I was counting on in both of those leagues was Darius Geis, and we all know what happened with that. <laughs> um, yeah, it didn't work out well for me. And so it's very important that if you are going to do some type of productive struggle and you have to start two RBs, and this is something Rob McDowell has mentioned also, is get one of those running backs. You need at least one decent guy. And Leonard Fournette is a great example. Like he, in some drafts, will go in the late thirds, early fourths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't necessarily have to be the third round, but yeah, I mean – it, you still want to take advantage of that value. You know, a big part of what we're trying to do in the startup is, you know, for the, the quarterbacks that just gets us into the trade market. Then the running backs give us extra currency and, and they also unlock a little bit of trade value that the quarterbacks have, you know, it allows the quarterbacks to carry more of the trade value, more of the weight, more of the water in a trade you know, in trade negotiations, because, you know, the, the super flex theorem 
what that essentially is, what that's really telling us is you probably are not going to be able to afford to trade for a quarterback. <laughs> yep. You know, they, they, after the startup, when there's none available, a quarterback is just way too hard to attain. Not many people do it. Not many people trade for a quarterback without sending one, you know, back the other way. So what we know about quarterbacks, though, is on a weekly basis, they all score roughly the same. So, you know, the 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 deep, dark secret that a lot of people still haven't quite caught on to is the fact that you can downgrade from your quarterback, whoever it is, you can downgrade from Pat Mahomes to, you know, Derek Carr. And you're still only giving up about 10 points. But if you do it in a package deal where you're also giving up, you know, a, a, a running back, really any running back, and then upgrading from that running back um, to another running back, you know, the, the quarterback power in that trade is going to be so much greater than their, their actual production. Their value is so much greater than the actual production. But the problem is in order to make a move like that, you kind of have to include some other players to do it. So, you know, that's that's where I like to – I still like to load up on running backs. I don't like a bunch of the big flashy names, but I like enough running backs that I can make some moves with them and really take advantage of that quarterback value. Yeah, and that's a – good point with quarterbacks because that is true that all of them are about the same and would you say that most of dynasty value for quarterbacks is their longevity so someone like a Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson they're most likely going to score like two to three points per game more ish on average but then someone like a Dak Prescott uh, Russell Wilson Kyler Murray Deshaun Watson even like a Josh Allen, they're all scoring around the same points. And would you say it's more just that a projected longevity is their value? Yeah, I do think that that's a big part of it. You know, I think that, uh, you know, in, at least in theory, I mean, Pat Mahomes just signed a 12-year contract, you know, and right now he's already in a conversation for 1.01. So in theory, you know, at the at the very least, you can so you know you got Pat Mahomes at 102 in your startup. McCaffrey went 101. You can after the draft at the very least you can trade Pat Mahomes straight up for Christian McCaffrey. That's going to be the case for the next 12 years. It's not going to be Christian McCaffrey every year. That name is going to change every year. It's going to be Pat Mahomes and blank in as the top two names in Superflex startups every year for the next 12 years. So Pat Mahomes is going to be the constant, and at any point through those twelve years, you can cash him in for, you know, the the current big name running back, whoever that is. At some point, it's probably going to be, you know, Jonathan Taylor. At some point, it's probably going to be Miles Sanders. At some point, it's probably going to be Clyde Edwards-Helaire. At some point, it's probably going to be Travis Etienne or Chuba Hubbard, or, and then there are guys that I, you know, that we haven't even heard of yet who are going to come along here in about eight years and just have a massive RB1 overall season, you know, in, in their second year as a pro. And they're going to be the new 1.01 in Superflex. And Pat Mahomes is still going to be 1.02. And you can still trade him straight up for that guy. That guy who was just born, you know, five years ago. <laughs> We're still going to be able to trade for that guy with Pat Mahomes just straight up. So, yeah, the, so much of their value is is based on the fact that, you know, even when you're playing in that two to three year window that people like to say, you you're still you still have that value with Pat Mahomes for as long as you have him. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey is the one guy who I just I have a weakness for. I just I have this feeling that he's that special outlier. And I know that's a scary thing to say and to get into, but <laughs> I don't I just I just think that he provides that bonus at running back and mm -hmm. we can look at it two years from now and people may were probably saying that about Todd Gurley a couple years ago. So they I may be uh, a dummy for saying that, but I uh, if I had the 1.01, I'm still taking CMC, but mm -hmm. I, I do agree, though, like five years down the road, CMC isn't going to be the 1.01, while Patrick Mahomes, he'll almost most likely be the 1.02. So that is a great point. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, Pat, uh, Christian McCaffrey won't make it back to where he's at right now. Probably never again, to be honest with you. That doesn't mean he has to lose a ton of value, though. I mean, he could still be a first-rounder next year. It's just, yeah, I mean, somebody's going to replace him is the, the RB1 overall, you know, both in production and in value. So, yeah. Um, and, but again, yeah, it's it is it's about just kind of the timeline that you have with with Pat Mahomes and the ability to cash him in. Yeah, that's a good point. So we're going to switch to in season dynasty strategy. And my question is, do you do anything unique in the season to set yourself apart in dynasty? Um, some examples mm-hmm. could be trading for injured players or trading away bets on a hot streak. Um, not a lot of that. Um, so, well, one thing that the. the that we do on the, at the Superflex super show. And, uh, and I definitely implement it myself. Um, but we've, we, so every week in, in, you know, this is just kind of a preview of what this season's going to be third straight season, um, where the Superflex super show, we're going to have a show specifically every single week on either mo- coming out like Monday night, Tuesday morning, something like that. It's called Superflex standard operating procedures. And it's, you know, it's, it's, um, buys and sells it's ads and drops. And then we've got a segment that we call next week, this week. And basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to find the players who are free right now. You pick them up right now and you can get them for cheap or free, but next week they're going to be the hot waiver wire ad and they're going to cost a lot. So you pick them up a week early <laughs> and save yourself some you know, some waiver money or, or waiver priority, whatever it is. And I, and I, you know, it, it really kind of gets me thinking in terms of, you know, with the quarterbacks, like how close is this guy to losing his job? I think we're going to be watching Derek Carr quite a bit. Um, you know, and I think that we're going to, we're going to, it's uh, I, Marcus Mariota is on a lot of rosters, but I think at some point we're going to be wondering like, when is this coming? This feels like it's coming soon. And I think there are going to be other situations like that. It, it, it certainly happens at running back. And it also kind of gets you thinking in terms of what if this guy gets hurt? You know, what if this running back gets hurt? Does it matter? Are we just going to see this running back by committee that we want nothing to do with? Are we going to get one guy, you know, Jordan Howard gets hurt. And now all of a sudden Boston Scott comes in and is a major part of that offense. You know, carry on Johnson gets hurt, and now all of a sudden Bo Scarborough is going to come in and carry the load all by himself. So we're kind of looking for that type of guy. That's that's really kind of the biggest thing I do, and I'm really focused on the running back position. And, uh, you know, so I guess the, the one other thing to add to that is that's where the QBX strategy of having – you know, enough quarterbacks that you can sustain injuries and bye weeks. That's where that's so effective is because it allows you to focus in season on running backs and, you know, continuing to churn those guys, continuing to find the guys off of waivers who are going to keep helping you. Yeah, that's a good point with keeping the lookout for those potential risers. Like Boston Scott's an excellent, excellent example from last year. He absolutely mm-hmm. killed it. He, if you ignore that Miles Sanders didn't play much of Week 17, he actually had more point fantasy points than Miles Sanders did mm-hmm. Week 11 through 17. Which Miles Sanders did only play 30 percent of the snaps, but still, that's a crazy amount of points for a backup player, a third string player at the start of the season. Yep. Yeah, he was startable. You know, once he once he carved out that role, he helped them come from behind and beat the Giants in, you know, week 13, I believe it was, and um, kept them in the playoff hunt. And from then on, he was a major part of that offense and he was startable in dynasty or in, in fantasy leagues every single week. Yeah. My next question about in-season strategy is around what week do you look to make a push for the championship or look to sell bets because you realize it isn't going to be your year? That's tough. I mean, I, I, sometimes I think you just know, (laughs) you know, by the first, in the first like three weeks or something, you can tell like, all right, this is not going well. I mean, I, I, so I think it's important to be you know, to, to be fair about it sometimes, like, 
Um, there are a lot of people who drafted Saquon Barkley with, you know, one of the top two picks in their startups, in it, especially in redraft when, you know, quarterback is not nearly as much of a priority in super, even in super flex, but somebody got Saquon Barkley. He's got a dreadful start to the season as far as his schedule goes. And, you know, he's got like San Francisco and Pittsburgh and maybe Chicago. I, I don't even remember the schedule, but it's it's awful to start the season. And, you know, I think that it's still it's still valid for people to say, all right, like this can still turn around. This is still a very talented player. The schedule's gonna loosen up, and you know, this can still turn around. But at the same time, there are some other players that, you know, by by week three, kind of regardless of the schedule, we're going to say, all right, he looks like crap. He look, you know, Todd Gurley looks really old. Le'Veon Bell just is not, you know, they're they're just not giving him touches. They just they don't they don't want, you know, whoever it is there. This is we can we can see that this is not going to happen. And. You know, I, I think that it's pretty important for people to be, you know, extremely judicious about that stuff and to say, like, you know, to to be ultra realistic about it and say, this is a weak spot for me and obsess over fixing it. And if that means bailing on your season, because, you know, this is just you're not going to get anything from that player. That's just not going to happen this year. If that means bailing on your entire season, then do that because the biggest mistake that people make is, is, you know, they they start off with all the writing on the wall and they continue to tinker as if they're going to be able to turn it around. And all that ends up happening is you end up just missing the playoffs with, and now you've got a later draft pick and, uh, you know, you just, you, you you did absolutely nothing for your team. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really important to look at your teams as honestly as possible and to not start selling your draft picks too soon because it may look nice and pretty that, oh, if I send this 2021 first for this running back, my, my season's going to be made. I'll be like a top three team. Well, if you're sending your 2021 first to be a top three team, you're <laughs> already like a top six team right now. And if anything, I would look to get rid of a ton of players and go for that 1.01 in the rookie draft because we know rookie fever. If you want to get a really good vet, you can get a really good vet for that price, or you can keep your pick and get an excellent prospect. You can get, uh, if you need quarterbacks, Joe Burrow or Tua, if you need running backs, Clyde Edwards, or Jonathan Taylor. And it, to me, it's just, it's better to choose a side and to be very consistent with that and not try to rush your rebuilds it's that's the worst thing and i know everybody talks about it. i know you've mentioned it before don't rush your rebuild stay consistent with it set your plan and even if it looks pretty like you think you can make it like for me i rushed a rebuild i rushed it back and then darius guys ended up being who he is and now i don't have depth and so now i'm looking at my team a little bit different i'm like ooh, i should have <laughs> really held off on that rebuild because i sent uh you're gonna not like this trade but dobbin stafford and uh, Eckler for CMC and Heinz. And at the time Ooh. I was like, that makes me like a number one team. I'm good to go. And then it's a start 11, 12 team league. And I'm looking at it now and I'm like, that is one of the worst trades I've made <laughs> on a dynasty roster construction term. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a learning point too. Like you're, everybody's yeah. going to make mistakes and just, just realize it. Don't just look at it with this googly eye of, Oh, I'm going to be okay. I'll make it. So hopefully my team makes it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm still hoping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do think that there's a there's there's this really weird opportunity that 2020 and and coronavirus is really going to create. And uh, I, for one thing, it's going to create this massive split. Um, but there's an opportunity on e on either side because so we know that we're not going to get a whole lot of college football, you know, if any. <laughs> Which means we're not going to get to see all these players. We've got these, these right now, these are mythological figures to us. Travis Etienne, Chuba Hubbard, Najee Harris, 
you know, Rondale Moore and Jamar Chase and Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. These are all guys that have just kind of this mystique right now. What tends to happen is, ask Tua, <laughs> this mystique wears off throughout the season, especially if you have a down year or you suffer a major injury. And, you know, that so that mystique kind of wears off and their value wears off. And by the time our rookie draft gets here, it doesn't look quite as good as, as it did, you know, back in November. And I think that this year we're, you know, we're without college football, without the opportunity for those guys to go out and, you know, prove that we're overvaluing them. We're, we're going to maintain that that mystique we're still going to have the mystique around all these players because we haven't seen anything to the contrary so those rookie picks are going to be worth a lot more on the you know so there's there's definitely an argument for not only keeping your own rookie pick but loading up on other rookie picks because of the ridiculous amount of value that you're going to get out of those but on the other side of that there's also the piece where you know if you are going to contend, you've got all these teams who are ready to to bail on their season and really invest heavily in the 2021 rookie draft because of that value that they're going to get out of it. And all of a sudden, your 12-team league becomes about a, a five-team league. <laughs> your odds of winning that thing are quite a bit better. And your rookie pick, even though it looks like it's going to be a late one, all of a sudden has that much more, you know, buying power. So I, I yeah, I, I it's gonna make for interesting economics this year, I think, when it comes to the trade markets. I agree. And yeah, one thing that'll be weird too is with the whole COVID thing, and we haven't seen teams have any players sit out with COVID recently. No one's been really sick. There was the thing with the testing center, but mm -hmm. that all came back negative. So part of me is wondering if COVID's not going to be as big of an issue for the NFL as was originally thought. Now, there's always a chance that once they start traveling, obviously everything changes. Um, and I, I do agree that I think if you can trade away your, your rookie pick to a team that is more of that bottom team and get a solid player, I could see teams jumping on the chance. I know people haven't talked about it as much because we're like two weeks from football season, but that was all the talk on Twitter about a month ago. I know I was posting all about it, about trying to do, do we need to start changing to where we trade away those older pieces like a Todd Gurley for David Montgomery, you know, trying to get yeah. that more stable asset because we don't want to lose a year. And that's, that was one thing with, like a league that I had recently drafted, we had voted early on that we were going to completely redraft the league. And I know some people may say it's dynasty. Why would you do that? And to me, you don't, you, you're not drafting Tom Brady now for 2021. You're not drafting Drew Brees for 2021. And it changes the value of some players. And some people argued with me and disagreed, but mm -hmm. uh, that was my viewpoint. And I, I agree. I think it's a good point that if you can get a good price for your draft pick, go for it. If you can yeah. get a good price to acquire a draft pick, even if you're a contending team, it may be a good idea to send uh, James Conner for a 2021 first if someone will do it. Why not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, you can even kind of frame it a little bit. I mean, I don't, I don't love doing sales pitches when I'm trying to trade. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that the assets should really kind of speak for themselves. But you know, in this case, I think that you can, you can kind of point out like. Yeah, you know, first of all, you know, we we know how deep this class already is, how deep this class is already going to be. But we also I I, I mean, at least this is this is kind of my hunch, and I think it's a, a fairly safe educated guess here more than anything, is I think we're gonna see a lot of uh, we're not gonna see very many players return to school. Uh, the way we usually do, you know, I, a lot of them there, there have going to, it's going to have been a full year and since they've played football and they're just kind of done sitting around waiting, you know, I don't think we're going to see nearly as many players go back as usual. So, I mean, you can really sell this as this is going to be a super deep, super talented rookie class. I don't, even though I'm on track to win the championship in this league, I look like the team that's, you know, best built to go win the championship. Uh, 
that 12th pick is still going to be better than, you know, most 106s in most years. Yeah. Definitely uh, try to get your sell pitches, everybody, because it people will listen, especially teams that are a little bit on one side or the other, because um, that's one thing I think in season is you should really be looking closely at teams and seeing if they look like they'll be going towards a rebuild or going towards being a contender and use that to your advantage. Yep. So now we're going to go to the off season. So this is why everybody loves Dynasty. This is why I love Dynasty. And I'm going to start with a question about how you set yourself up before the rookie drafts even get close. And that is, do you make any moves before the NFL free agency occurs to put yourself ahead? Like some examples from this last year could be trading for Teddy Bridgewater before he signed with the team. Or even one trade I did is I traded away two 2023rds for Tom Brady. So it's <laughs> yeah. like, do you do you look to make any moves like that that can help your team? Yeah, definitely. And those are two great ones because you know both of those guys were super cheap, Bridgewater and Brady. And I ended up in one league. I ended up, you know, them actually in with a bunch of analyst friends. In fact, but I ended up getting both Brady and Bridgewater. And I think it cost me a total of uh, like a like two seconds or like a second and two thirds, something like that. It was, it was insanely cheap. And, uh, you know, so that's, I, that's probably my favorite move is, is, you know, going after the quarterbacks who look like they've got a chance to, you know, to, to find a better situation or, you know, a starting job just kind of in general, Jameis Winston's going to be a great one to go after. Um, Cam Newton, maybe Cam Newton potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, Philip Rivers might as well. You know, he's he's on a one year deal with the Colts. It's you know there might be a lot of people writing him off, and then you know he might end up with another team, and it. I mean. Maybe it's Tampa Bay. Maybe it's New Orleans. You know, it's 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 entirely possible that he ends up in a very good offense, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, he's he he has very high value. Nick Mullins is a guy that I've been really kind of stashing for several years now. Um, Alex Smith, I think, could be a a great one. Um, and, and you know, we'll see how the season plays out. That's where we'll really find those names, but. You know, yeah, find those guys, especially a quarterback, because that's where you can get a discount on the on these quarterbacks when, you know, you're picking them up before they have an actual starting situation. So one I just thought of was Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, that could be a great one. He could be on his way out. Sam Darnold could be on his way. I mean, if the, the Jets are, it's the Jets and the Jaguars right now battling it out for the the Vegas odds for uh, lowest, you know, over under win total. And, uh, you know, I, as both of those guys, honestly, if, if either of those teams end up drafting in the, you know, first or second overall, they're probably going quarterback. I don't know how you pass on the those top two quarterbacks. So, you know, if they do that, whoever gets Trevor Lawrence, the, you know, the former starter, whether it's Sam Darnold, Gardner Minshew, like that guy's probably on his way out. His value is going to tank. And then, you know, you pick him up in February and then uh, in March, he signs with a new team to become the new starter. And, uh, you know, he ends up in a situation kind of like Bridgewater did where all of a sudden he's got weapons everywhere. Yeah, do you see Gardner Minshew being the starter for the Jags next year? Because I personally don't, and I find it yeah. – I just – I don't know if he'll be a starter in the NFL next year, and I know he has the flash to him. He had the awesome uh, video with – I think it was Bud Light today, which was really yeah. cool to see as a fantasy football player. But what do you see happening with him? Because he's been someone I've been fading pretty hard in Dynasty, but mm-hmm. redraft him all in. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I think that the the thing with that team is – you know, like I said, Vegas has them at basically four and a half wins is the over under. And I, I, my bet would be that most of that money is going towards the under (laughs) it's it. And, but the big issue with that team is the defense it's, you know, they've lost all those guys that made them 
you know, the one of the best defenses in the league. They lost all of basically all of Saxonville at this point. It's just a, you know, it, it, they're they're young. They're somewhat talented, but they're just way too young. That defense is going to be the reason that they end up, you know, with a, a top overall pick. But the offense, I think there's plenty of fantasy production there, and especially when they're chasing points because their defense puts them in a bad spot all the time. So so I, I'm with you 100%. I think Gardner Minshew is a great one for this year. I think they're going to be chasing a lot of points. I think that he's, you know, he's going to use Leonard Fournette a lot in the passing game. I think they're going to use LaVisca Chenault as a little bit of a gadgety type of player. I think... You know, they've they've got the tight ends and they've got DJ Chark to be, you know, kind of some uh, some red zone threats and deep down the field with Chark. And yeah, I think there's a lot there for Minshew. But I think that at the end of the day, this is going to be such a bad team that they're going to be in a position where, like, seriously, how do we stick with Gardner Minshew when we could have Trevor Lawrence? Yep. In complete agreement. Um so now we're going to go to the rookie draft, and this is where you would get Trevor Lawrence in 2021. And I'm wondering, what is your philosophy on keeping rookie draft picks versus trading them for known players and using rookie fever to your advantage? And I would say this is more for like a 2020 discussion, not really a 2021 like COVID discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah. J- yeah. Leaving out uh, 2021 <laughs> in the, the fluky uh, the fluky stuff that we're going to get out of that, but um yeah just to, just kind of in general i mean the big thing is rookie picks just uh, they're they're so overvalued always you know we're really not that good at making rookie picks and uh and and it calling rookies correctly at projecting rookies correctly it's very rare that they end up being worth you know what you actually have to pay to get the rookie pick and you know, I think some of it is that there is a there's still a wide range of outcomes. You know, you 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 trade you somebody traded Ezekiel Elliott or Mike Evans for one point oh one in the off season. If, you know, for twenty twenty one point oh one, and I mean that could have been Joe Burrow, it could have been Jonathan Taylor, it been it could have been Clyde Edwards Alaire. And there's a certain amount of value in the fact that you you know, you have a choice between those three guys. But the problem is at some point you have to make the pick and that's where we're not all that good, actually. (laughs) Um, But we also get way too excited about, you know, the unknown of it. Like the, I always kind of liken it to, you know, having a, a present under the Christmas tree that, you know, that big wrapped monstrosity that you've had your eyes on for, for, you know, for several weeks leading up to Christmas, the excitement of the, the gift itself is, has a lot more intrinsic value than what's actually inside the package. Once you take the wrapping off, then it's like, I mean, that's cool but it's certainly not as cool as the excitement of coming downstairs every damn morning and seeing that big thing and wondering what, what is that and how's it going to change my life? So, you know, that's, that's kind of the way people feel about draft picks a little bit. And yeah, I just, I, I fully capitalize on that. Um, You know, take advantage of the fact that their value just keeps rising until they're on the clock basically. And, uh, you know, there there is an argument to be made to wait as long as you can to cash them in. But like I said, people were seriously trading away known elite, elite players like Ezekiel Elliott, Mike Evans, Julio Jones. You know, these were some of the guys that I saw, Joe Mixon and Nick Chubb. Like I saw these guys getting traded away for the first overall pick in 2020. And I'm just like, I don't care what month it is. I'm making that trade and I'm taking, I'm taking advantage of that right now. Yeah, I agree. And that's one thing that 
I tried to do last year as much as I could, and then I got some FOMO like a couple months after the draft. But you know, I haven't I haven't made any crazy trades for any rookies, so I'm I'm holding strong on it. And I think it's a it's a good thing that if anybody is doing a productive struggle, which if you haven't heard the term, typically that means you'll be trading back in the draft. You'll be getting more of the quarterback heavy approach if you're in super flex, more wide receiver heavy approach, and you end up with three to four 2021 draft picks or whatever year it is trade a couple of those for some known players. Don't just think that you're going to hit on them because the odds are only half are going to hit. And I I know I've talked to some people about 2020 class and do we, like, I think that they are special compared to other classes. And I think that they can hit at a higher rate, but that mm-hmm. hit at a higher rate still, the still only like what, 75, 60 to 75%. It's not that much higher. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And the, the big reason that it is going to be so high, you, you know, even that high, is because it's it's fairly heavy with running backs, you know, because, you know, the, those are the guys that you find out right away. Um, typically, I mean, here's here's basically the career arc for the for the various positions. Running backs usually break out in year one or two. And if they don't, if it doesn't happen by year two, like midway through year two, it's never going to happen. So David Montgomery, like <laughs> the clock is ticking, man. You know, um, wide receivers usually take until year two or year three to break out. And it, the running backs, by the way, they, you know, break out in, in year one or two, and then they peak the following year. And then they're there for like two years, basically. Um the wide receivers break out in year two or year three, and then they peak the following year. And usually it lasts, you know, like five years. Quarterbacks break out in year two, peak in year three, and then, you know, it's seven or eight years roughly. So, you know, the, the, we usually don't know right away with quarterbacks and wide receivers and it actually takes several years for us to figure out what we have. And, and by the time we know what we've got with those players, a lot of people give up on them. People have already given up on Nikhil Harry. And he's, he's still well within his window for a breakout. But, yeah, he's, he's a great buy candidate, I think, especially with yeah. the negative top he keeps getting. Um, yeah, I like that. So my last question mm-hmm. stems from some conversations I've seen you have on Twitter and that's related to rookie draft again. And with your teams typically being stacked at quarterback, do you take a quarterback at the 1.01 or would you instead grab a running back to help your team and fill the different holes that are made from how you draft? Yeah, I'm usually taking running backs. Now, that's again, like that's because I am, you know, pretty set at quarterback. I've got, I'm usually five deep with, you know, fairly young guys, fairly stable guys. So, you know, I, to a point where, you know, I'll, I'll, I will know a year or two in advance when I, when I need to restock at quarterback. So, you know, if I had, if I had older guys on my roster, then maybe I would have took Joe Burrow just to, you know, kind of stash him until, um, you know, Philip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger retire. And now, now I need to actually bring up Joe Burrow into my rotation, but you know, for the most part, so I'm, I, I'm going to see that coming, you know, um, generally speaking, uh, I am a, in a position where, you know, I'm set at quarterback and I, and I can take running backs and that's where I can really detail my roster by adding those rookie running backs. Like I said, they're going to break out in year one. Um, maybe partway through year two, but either way, you know, I've got the young quarterbacks. I've got the young wide receivers. All I need are some running backs. Jonathan Taylor is going to come in here in year one and break out for me almost immediately. And now this roster is complete, you know? So uh, for it's for one thing, it's an argument in favor of QBX, but yeah, the other thing is it makes it so much easier to be able to draft a running back, even when there are those quarterbacks available, I'm I'm gonna miss all, on Trevor Lawrence a lot next year because even if I have the ammo to get up to QB one, 
I just am not going to really need him. It's I'm going to be moving up because now I need running backs. That's all that this roster is missing. But, you know, for everybody else who, if you only have two or three quarterbacks and one of them is kind of either getting old or, or about to lose his job, you know, Derek Carr or Mitch Trubisky, guys like that, Gardner Minshew, like we said, if you've got those guys – you you need to go quarterback, you know, you need to take your medicine here. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely important to not get completely destroyed at the quarterback position. That's extremely important. And that's, that's where the QBX strategy does come in. And it's definitely going to be one thing that I'm going to be excited to read your final article coming out here next week. And I'll be rethinking my strategy some because I just I go back and forth between that whole go win now more running back heavy, but then if you think about it as a dynasty, that's not going to hold long, and you'll be rebuilding after a couple of years. So yeah, I'll have to definitely think about it. And I do want to thank you for coming on today, John. I had a blast. I, do you have any projects or any other articles that you're currently working on? Not really. I'm gonna wrap up this series, and then uh, you know we'll just uh, we'll just go through the season and. Um, learn what we can learn and, uh, you know, perfect our processes and as we go and, um, you know, and then, and then once the off season hits, um, I'm sure there'll be a, a lot more to talk about as far as super flex strategy, but we're just so close to the season that right now it's all about in season management. We're treating really every, you know, most rosters just kind of like redraft. So, not a whole lot to to do right now um, other than shift to that in-season focus. And uh, um, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what we'll do. The one thing that I that I do work on year round, though, is Superflex ADP for DynastyLeagueFootball.com. I run uh, mock drafts, Superflex startup Dynasty mock drafts and uh, uh, open source those. So anybody who wants to jump in, please do. Uh, they're a lot of fun. It's a great way to keep up on Superflex values and uh, help us build that ADP that that goes on the website that I, you know, to me is the strongest, cleanest ADP in the industry. So, um, so help us out with that. But, um, but Jacob, I appreciate you having me on, man. It was a lot of fun, and uh, like I said, I was I was excited to uh, to be a part of the. Uh, you know, the early stages of this podcast, it's, it's one that I was excited to see start and uh, being here is a real treat. Thank you, John. And I do recommend anybody to check out DLF. They do have fantastic ADP. I completely agree. I use it all the time, uh, especially when I make Twitter threads, stuff like that. And also get involved with the mocks. You can do one QB mocks with Ryan uh, McDowell on Twitter and John does the Superflex mocks. I've done both. I obviously prefer Superflex because that's how I end up uh, playing and drafting. So, we, yeah. We need more help anyways, filling up. Ryan fills those freaking one quarterback. I mean, he knows everybody. He's got, you know, more more followers than I could possibly count. So he he fills those in a matter of minutes. But the Superflex ones, I, I, I don't have Ryan McDowell draw power. So I have to uh, – I have to go around and beg all my friends to jump in and you're always gracious enough to jump in, but let's, let's get some more regulars in there too. I agree. I definitely have had some new followers on Twitter that I think would really enjoy to do the mock. So I'll definitely be bugging them whenever the next mocks come up. Nice. So thanks for coming on again, John. Everybody go follow John on Twitter at SuperFlexDude. Also make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Snake in the Draft podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And let's be snakes this draft season.